Healthcare is complicated, but you don't have to navigate the complexities alone. Care Allies collaborates with physician organizations to solve some of the toughest challenges on the path to value-based care. As your organization works to effectively manage your more vulnerable patient populations, enhance outcomes, and improve data analytics, Care Allies brings the people, technology, and processes to support you so you can focus on practicing medicine. Visit careallies.com to see how they can help to radically simplify value-based care. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor at MGMA. Welcome to the Early Careerist Leadership Panel. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this before we get started. So early careerists, as you well know, are beginning their healthcare journey at a time when the industry faces challenges on several fronts, including increased administrative burden, technology challenges, and severe staffing shortages, and that's just to name a few. Um, but there are real opportunities for the young leaders to make their name in healthcare, and we are blessed today and honored by being joined by three early careerists who are finding success in the healthcare space, and they've all been honored for their achievements by MGMA. So let's get to know each of them a little bit better. First, I'd like to welcome Nina Cloven. Nina earned her MHA at Johns Hopkins in 2022 and is currently Manager of Primary Care Advancement at Alation Health. Nina is the creator and founder of Halo, whose purpose is to promote collaboration between clinicians and healthcare leadership. Nina was also a recipient of MGMA's inaugural Future Five Award. Next, I'd like to welcome David Comiskey. David is also a recipient of this inaugural Future Five Award. Um, he is a fellow Johns Hopkins alum. And he began his career as an analyst for the Department of Defense in 2009. In 2015, David left the DOD to start his first company. This was a software company in the pet care industry. He sold his pet care company in 2020, and he joined the healthcare world as COO of HealthMe. It's a platform that promotes price transparency for the benefit of both patients and providers. Finally, a big welcome to Anna Dunbar. Anna has recently earned her MHA from the University of South Carolina. Anna was a 2022 recipient of the And Andrea M. Rossiter FACMPE scholarship. And Anna will serve as an administrative fellow at Prisma Health. And that's the largest not-for-profit health organization in South Carolina. Nina, David, Anna, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Good to be here. Thanks. All right. Let's talk more about that healthcare journey. For that section, Anna, let's stay with you. Um, we both have mentioned it, but you are a recipient uh, just since last Friday of your MHA. You're embarking on a really exciting new opportunity at Prisma Health. So let's because yours is a little bit different than perhaps David and Nina's situation. Uh, let's talk about what you are most excited about in that opportunity 
and really what you plan to bring with you from the academic side to the practice? Yeah, so I'll be working in our um, main hospital here um, on campus, and it's a level one trauma center. And um, I'm just really excited to be able to work with our leadership team directly. Um, I just think it's such a cool opportunity to, you know, work right out of school with um, our C-suite executives and get to learn from them and be thrown into the daily operations world of of hospital logistics and um, problem solving and just being involved in that high level decision making, I think will be really exciting. And I know it'll be something new every day, which is really what drew me to this fellowship in particular. And so I'm just excited for that aspect of it. But um, as far as what I plan to bring, um, I'm hoping to be able to bring a lot of my presentation skills that I feel like were very much embedded in my MHA education, as is most programs. Um, I'm just excited to be able to, you know, be able to exercise the art and the ability to create and develop and execute presentations to clinicians and um, team members and just really hopefully, you know, effectively maintain our communication stream with all parts of our hospital staff. And so that along with just a new perspective of being a fresh grad and, um, you know, a first time workforce person. And so all of that, I think, is what I'm planning to bring. But I'm just really excited to begin. That is exciting. Um, so we are going to look at communication in our next section. And you were talking about making presentations. So it'll be interesting to hear more about that. Uh, so we'll come back to that. So David, as we've discussed, your journey has been a little bit different um, uh, than Anna and Nina's here uh, with you starting at the Department of Defense, with you then uh, getting that entrepreneurial bug, as you said, in the pet care industry, no puns intended there. But um, <laughs> talk about that, because these are very different industries. These are three different industries that you've been involved in. So what have you been able to bring and translate from the Department of Defense and the pet care industry that you've been able to implement and integrate into healthcare and things that have served you as a healthcare leader? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there are, in starting your career in the Defense Department, right, uh, as a civilian, uh, it, I was thrown into a world that was um, unlike anything I had experienced before in terms of uh, the structure that was there and the sort of chain of command and and all of that. And that was a pretty steep learning curve, actually, uh, for um, for me coming right out of college. Um, but it was actually very helpful in terms of learning how to operate within both large organizations and then also very small teams, almost call it like tactical teams that have some sort of ownership over a project, but but you know that it fits into something bigger. And, and that, I think, carried will carry through with me to almost anything that I do moving forward. Um, on the total opposite end of the end of the spectrum, you know, when I started my, my pet care business, that it was me and two co-founders and nobody else except our wives who thought we were absolutely crazy. Um, and we had to make it sort of, from nothing and wear as many hats as we possibly could, learn new skills 
every single day. I had to learn something new just to get the job done because I had never done any of that before. And so there was something from that experience coming into healthcare where, I mean, I, I didn't know what a CPT code was when I entered healthcare. Like I, I didn't know anything when I entered healthcare. And I was like, I have to learn everything. Every single day, I'm still learning something new. And it's actually, you know, a, a mantra we've, I think I've brought to the team as well, right? We've got a great team of much more experienced people at HealthMe uh, who have decades of experience in healthcare but we're also all just learning something new every single day. And that's what helps move our product forward, how we serve our clients, how we help patients. It's just always sort of that, that uh, um, desire to learn and endless curiosity, I think is what, uh, you know, I've carried with me at least for the last couple of careers, career moves that I've done to get here. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that, David, because organizationally, uh, the MGMA audience is made up of um, very small practices to very large health systems. Um, we see that with the practice leaders uh, that we interact with. There are some of those in those smaller practices like you had to do at the pet care uh, position where they wear all the hats. It's everything. They do yeah. all aspects. And then at some of the larger health system, they, they may be very focused on a very specific, uh, you know, aspect of healthcare. It might be they live in that rev cycle or they are, they might be in the HR department. You know, it mm -hmm. could be anything. Um, have you gravitated to a certain part now at, at your uh, current organization where you appreciate more, where you can drill down and you know, go a mile deep into one area or where you're wearing 20 oh, no. a day? <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I, I don't think I'm capable of going a mile deep anywhere. I'm sort of a, uh, a jack of some trades, master of none, I'll say. <laughs> um, but where I, where I really spend most of my time and uh, with Health Me anyway, and I'll, I'll get into a bit about Health Me sort of maybe later in the conversation, but it's on product. Right. Yeah. There is so much. Well, coming from the consumer world where I had to build technology to address the way, you know, consumers access pet care, uh, healthcare, the bar is just a little bit lower. Right. Uh, we're still using systems that may be older than all of us on this call. I, I, I don't know. And so to build consumer centric health like technology for healthcare is something that really excites me. Um, and I think, again, there's uh, just a lot of opportunity in that space. Okay. Nina, um, you and I had an interview in 2022. We talked a lot about your healthcare journey there, and I would love for you to share aspects of that with our audience here as well. Um, you'd already alluded to it that your uh, mom has been a huge influence on your healthcare journey. Um, Talk about that. Talk about how she's helped shaped your focus on healthcare and other aspects you might want to share with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll just say that, David, I think that I'm the one that's a little bit strange for knowing that I want to do healthcare administration. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is, it's always been a passion of mine. Maybe when I was super young, I thought that I would go into a clinical facing role, but it was pretty immediately that I knew that administration was for me. And I think that 
growing up so close to my mom, she always jokes that um, her last biostatistics class, she would carry me in a stroller because gynecologic oncology is so subspecialized. Um, so that being said, I grew up very comfortable, both in a clinical setting and around medical terminology. I know a lot of, I was shocked when I was younger that a lot of people were worried or concerned to go to a hospital because I would be in the room while my mom would do surgeries. We did a family, family medical mission trip to Guatemala, um, I think as a junior in high school. And we all went and we set up shop in an abandoned hospital. And I kind of performed triage and would help people in the OR and help my mom triage patients, translating from Spanish to English. And that was really eye-opening. But I think even more than that, the clinical lens was considering things on a patient level as well. There's so many different layers. Like David said, I will die not knowing everything there is to know about healthcare. There'll always be another acronym. There'll always be something else to learn. But I think that at the core of it is empathy. And we're all either helping people directly or we're helping people help people, like I say. Mm-hmm. And so actually I started um, HALO, Health Administration Leadership Organization at the Bloomberg School of Public Health in grad school. And that mission again was just to bridge the gap between clinical and administrative understanding. And while I was creating that, my mom went to her primary care physician and they found an unruptured brain aneurysm. And that is not something that you traditionally ever find unruptured, usually there's a very slim chance it ruptures, but if it does, there's a high probability of morbidity or mortality. And I remember I had just created the student organization and I was going through that with my mom and she ended up getting what is called an endovascular coiling procedure. And she was in the hospital for one night. And I just remember thinking about how lucky we were that we had that medical terminology understanding we had the resources to find the best providers. We knew what they were talking about. Like it was just so much easier because of that, but it was still so hard to be out of control and to have your lives in the hands of the health system. So I think that experience, and she's fine, by the way, everything's great. Teacher is amazing. Um, but that really helped shape my perspective even more, not just from the clinical side, but the patient side as well. And I think that that really fueled my fire for the purpose of helping patients as much as you can through the uncomfortable journey of being a patient in the U.S. healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Nina. And glad your mom is is doing better and recovered. Uh, I want to stay with you on this next section, Nina. Uh, it's communication. Um, Anna had already brought up that the first thing she's going to be doing is utilizing her presentation skills. And that's a form of uh, communicating. We're here at this presentation, uh, communicating with the MGMA audience as well. We, whether y'all have all experienced it already or uh, just read about it in uh, the academic side of things, there are communication gaps. Um, MGMA worked on a study a couple of years ago, uh, they co-branded that and looked at some of the communication gaps between the physician side and the administrative side. Nina, you and I had talked about that. Um, 
in an earlier conversation about your mom had some nice thoughts about administrators and uh, hopefully she softened those a little bit. You, you uh, went right into the administrative side as well. Um, but it's sometimes it's just because there's a, a, a breakdown on that communi uh, communication side. Wanted you to talk about that first, Nina, about what you're seeing at Alation Health, how you're help, helping shepherd uh, bridging that communication gap. You might have done the same thing at Halo as well. Just talk about that and uh, some of the things that can be done to get professionals, healthcare professionals on the same page. Yeah, and that's such a great question and such a great puzzle as a challenge <laughs> in healthcare. Right. Um, yeah, I find it really interesting. And I think that communication in healthcare is at the top of mind for a lot of people on a larger scale. But I think that before we even begin to broach the topic of collaboration between major healthcare players like payers, hospitals, health systems, tech, I think first, we have to bring our attention to the different people that make up one healthcare organization. And obviously there are different responsibilities for each person, say in a hospital and different training, clinical versus administrative. But I think that underneath it all, like I said, we're all operating under one mission to help people, whether that be helping people or helping people help people. Um, and I think it can be really difficult to see that sometimes, especially in our healthcare system where everything is so fragmented and there's different financial incentives. But I think that there's such tremendous value in realigning on our core purpose, however many times that takes. And so, for example, Adulation Health, I'm currently spearheading an initiative that provides regular updates of our small to medium-sized practices uh, for senior leaders and executives. And it's been really cool and eye-opening and rewarding to be able to dig through customer data, speak with different sales teams, customer teams, adulation, and really be able to translate the voice of the customer so that we can leverage it in everything that we do on a strategy and higher level. And I think, again, there's just so much value in maintaining that closeness um, to both the physician and the patient experience, particularly in organizations that are startups or those that are just continuing to grow and scale as the landscape evolves. Okay. Now I have to follow up here with you then. Um, you're in a unique situation with your mom's role in healthcare, you being on the administrative side. Have y'all been able to learn from each other? Have y'all you've been able to kind of give her the insight of, well, this is what we're thinking from the administrative side. And she's a lot able to share with you from the provider side where their mindset is. Oh yeah. We do that all the time. And sometimes I feel like I know what she's going to say before she even says it. <laughs> Which is funny. But at the same time, she does go to me whenever she has to send emails to executives so I can help her add in some buzzwords like leverage and optimize. <laughs> Actually, it's helped me a lot in my role because it it's like almost like I hear her voice and that sounds a little mm -hmm. bit creepy, but whenever we have email campaigns or outreach or engagement, I just hear my mom's voice saying, 
nobody wants an EHR to email them. And so I, I think of like ways to improve how that communication really just seeming like more of a, a real person rather than just the enemy, you know? <laughs> no, that's a great, great point. Thank you for sharing that. David, I know that transparency is a huge part of your work. It's a huge part of being able to, to communicate clearly, concisely, so that people are on the same page because they can uh, see what's going on from, from both sides. Talk about that work that you guys are doing to bridge those gaps, bring clear transparency to both practices and to the patients as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I mean, it's, Nina, I really like that story about hearing your mom's voice sort of as you're doing your work. I'll tell you, I hear my CEO's voice, who's a practicing orthopedic surgeon. Uh, anytime I'm I'm working on anything in terms of communication, like how are we building a comms infrastructure to communicate to patients or or whatever. But yeah, I, I mean, Daniel, transparency is super important for what we're doing. It is super important for the healthcare industry as a whole, and it just doesn't really exist yet. And so with Health Me, uh, we effectively started the business because we realized that an entire patient population was being overlooked and unaddressed in the healthcare system. And those are patients who are looking to pay directly for whatever services that it is that they need to receive from, uh, from their physicians in their area. Uh, these could be uninsured patients, right? There's like 30 million uninsured Americans at this point. They could be underinsured, which is even larger, right? If you think about how many Americans will just go into medical debt this year or bankruptcy based on healthcare expenses, it's it's a terrifying number. And I think there are over 100 million Americans with a high deductible health plan right, right now. Those are all people who are effectively paying directly for their healthcare and have umbrella catastrophic insurance should something terrible go wrong. But they're direct payers up until their deductible hits. And unfortunately, for anyone who asks or is seeking prospective prices on the cost of their care, they just can't get them, really. If you ask a doctor, what's the cost of you know a, an office visit with you? Do you take cash? Maybe they say yes, maybe they say no. What we realized in our sort of unique insight that prompted us to start the company was the administrators think they take cash. The doctors think they take cash. But when push comes to shove and you're on the telephone with a um, uh, an employee at a medical practice and you say, hey, I'm paying directly, what's the cost of my care going to be? Their, their brain breaks. We train, we train uh, staff members in third-party billing. We are a fee-for-service business in healthcare. And so the idea of providing a prospective price, uh, it just doesn't really exist. And so HealthMe is stepping in with medical practices, specialists primarily, to bundle price and retail their services to direct payers. Uh, it, it, it is a total unlearning of the healthcare system to then figure out how to potentially do this. And it's why I... I can actually get by without knowing the deep details of the healthcare system because it's like, well, no, every other industry, in fact, every other industry has been able to figure out how to quote patient, quote their customers' uh, prices ahead of time, and you can do it too. And so, so that's where we, uh, that's where we're coming in to try to provide that transparency um, to patients. 
Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That is really interesting. Um, and I want to finish this section with you. You and I spoke uh, last year as well. I have a quote here. You, you talked about being excited to embark on a career where you can improve the transparency and the accessibility, and most importantly, the value of care that patients in your community receive. Where do you see the opportunities in making that a reality? Yeah, and so I think um, there'll be some opportunities here at my in my fellowship at Prisma Health, um, mainly to improve the value of care. I know there's been some recent projects that our leadership has focused on to improve processes and just overall like optimize the supply chain of care. So when a patient's admitted to you know all the way through to when they're discharged, um, just you know essentially improving the efficiency and the effectiveness of that process and. I know um, our, our CEO likes to make a comparison of when a patient receives their meal in their bed, if they receive their pancakes, but not their syrup, um, you know, then they can't eat and then they're behind on, you know, their schedule. And that's just a simple example that he likes to use that we need to bring, you know, everything that they need at the, at the time that they need it rather than it be, you know, fragmented and, um, you know, then someone that then the nurse is going to have to go find the syrup when that's, you know, when her job is to provide, um, you know, bedside care. And so that's just kind of an example that he likes to use um, as a motivator of, you know, these recent process improvement projects that they've been a part of. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be able to be a part of that, um, just given the, the nature of our hospital being um, the main level one trauma center in our area and just um, all the kinds of, you know, cases and folks that we see and that we serve um, just improving the value of their experience um, and that, you know, it can actually be efficient and um, it doesn't always have to be sort of this, you know, fragmented experience. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, technology is our next section. Um, I can't wait to hear y'all's thoughts about this, but David, I'm going to start with you pretty broad here, but you've been in, I mean, you were in the department of defense, then you brought some uh, technology and innovation to pet care. Now you're in healthcare. So where do you see some of the biggest opportunities and also some of those biggest challenges uh, from a technology perspective as it's related to healthcare? Yeah. I mean, this could be an entire, I know entire I know. talk. Um, <laughs> it's, Okay, so on the opportunities side of things, I think uh, where my mind goes immediately is meeting consumer expectations with technology in the healthcare system, right? There, there shouldn't, the patient experience shouldn't lag decades behind the consumer experience that we all get to have in every other walk of life that we do, right? And so what does that mean, if you ask me? Well, I read a stat recently that 52% of healthcare payments are still made by snail mail and telephone. And like, that's just mind blowing to me. I don't, I mean, Anna and Anita, like, I don't even look at snail mail anymore, pretty much. Like, how is that how we're getting paid? And then it happened so long. I mean, I had a, a, a surgery I had to get done a couple of years ago and 15 months after, I thought I had paid all my bills. 15 months after I get a call, like, oh, I still owe $130. I, who, who knew? But <laughs> I mean, it's just like, so meeting consumer expectations is opportunity, probably number one. I think 
in terms of staffing, technology can uh, really, really play a larger role in the way uh, I know how much our clients' medical practices are suffering from staffing shortages, hiring challenges. Uh, I think COVID did us all a benefit in terms of accelerating how we're thinking about remote work in certain roles in healthcare and uh, I, I've just seen some other innovations on the staffing side of things that um, that could be applicable uh, in healthcare. And then I think maybe the, the last one is just general patient engagement on in terms of opportunities, right? Like the way that patients engage with uh, their their providers, the way they engage with their own medical records, uh, there's just a huge opportunity there as well. Challenges wise, though, challenges wise, and just really quickly, there are a couple of things that I think are are worrisome to me and, and things that I hear from from health me clients. One is the tech stack that the average medical practice has to manage to get their job done these days is becoming burdensome in and of itself. There are too many applications. There are too many tools. There are too there's frankly, just too much software that it is overwhelming, already overwhelmed medical practices. And, and I think that is a huge challenge that we need to think about. And the way it's solved is through interoper interoperability. But, you know, that that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, and then the, the other challenge challenge and maybe hybrid opportunity is, is what we're seeing in terms of artificial intelligence and the way that's playing a role in, in, um, in other industries and how that may play a role in, in healthcare. I think it's a huge opportunity when you think about patient engagement and, and all of that, but, you know, it's a huge risk too, because, um, well, uh, it's too powerful potentially. Um, so anyway, you, you you found my soapbox, Daniel. <laughs> That's it. And as you said, as you started, David, we could have had an entire session just on the technology side of healthcare, really all of these topics as well. Yeah. Um, and I really, I really connected with what you said about that sort of consumerization side of it. And I want to talk to you about uh, technology as well and really looking at it in a couple of different ways. I mean, one is think what David was getting at was meeting patients where they are. Um, you made the point, David, you're not even picking up email. I'm, I'm lucky that you answer my emails. Thank you, David, but maybe I'm on a VAP list. I don't know, but I totally get what you're saying. And uh, whether it's a, a social media app, texting, whatever it might be, uh, we really do need to meet those patients where they are Anna, I'm curious, you are just finishing that MHA program. If you had any uh, courses on the technology side or if it touched on the technology side and really what that cutting edge side of it there, what you're talking about from that level. Yeah, so we do have a course dedicated to um, health information systems that we take. Um, and that's very helpful in kind of just understanding the evolution of technology and healthcare to start, I think was really interesting um, just to kind of understand like how we got to where we are today and um, the regulations involved. But I think that um, what's been, you know, the most impactful is just while we're in um, 
in school pursuing our MHAs, we are graduate assistants in different health systems and practices throughout Columbia, South Carolina. And so um, just being a part of Prisma Health Primary Care and working alongside practice managers and um, operations administrators um, and learning EPIC and, you know, receiving EPIC training as soon as I started and kind of just being able to um, utilize that in, in my projects that I've been doing here at work and just even just understanding um, how to access, you know, certain information that you need and download it and um, present it to leadership or to providers in a way that will help communicate um, the change that you're trying to make or the improvement that you're trying to, you know, gain buy-in for, I think has been helpful. And I'm sure I will learn a lot more when I start full-time. I just kind of scratched the surface there, but um, it is really helpful going in um, to my full-time role, kind of already having worked with Epic for the past two years. All right, Nina, as you've told me, Elation Health is a technology company. Um, as you stated to me, it offers a clinical platform focused on primary care. Talk about that. Talk about ways to integrate, uh, to implement that technology and to make it work for practices. Yeah, that's a really great question. I think in terms of practices using elation and other technologies and adoption, I think one important thing to keep in mind is that foundationally, our health system is not built for primary care and neither are many of the technologies and innovations developed that they have to use. Um, I think we all sense the shift of our healthcare system towards the bigger guys, the larger health systems, uh, the bigger EHR systems, bigger technologies. Um, but I know David as well mentioned consumerism and whether we like it or not, healthcare is a business and there are different entities in that. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that we should be empowering patients and physicians as consumers and customers. And I think that that should drive us forward to do better by them. And I think in terms of primary care, I think we see particularly smaller practices are struggling to see the benefits of these technologies that they're that are supposed to make their lives easier and make things seamless. But instead, they find themselves facing more administrative burden and burnout because the technology was not built for the type of work that they're doing. And so it's not about practices doing anything in particular to get it right, but it's more about, it's on us to make technologies that are clinically first designed. So adoption will be seamless and it'll actually help them drive patient outcomes. And it's not one size fits all. They're different even types of providers and there, there's so many different people and I, one solution cannot meet the needs of all of them. But just like any other technology, I think that once it's there, once it's right, it develops properly, I think adoption will be kind of an afterthought. Like think about the iPhone. We didn't have to convince anybody to get an iPhone. Everybody just has one now or a smartphone. Um, and like David was saying earlier, health care in the U.S. can be a little bit antiquated. I remember learning that faxing is still used a lot. Oh, yeah. It's surprising to me as an elder yeah. Gen Z. I didn't know faxes still existed. <laughs> I, uh, 
I, I was doing research, just really quick anecdote. This is a great point, I think. I was doing research on a practice that requested a demo of Health Me recently. And I went to their website just to sort of see like, you know, what they're all about, what, uh, how many physicians are there. Big banner right up top on the website. Attention, our fax numbers have changed effective as of. Please scroll to the bottom of this page to access our new fax numbers. And I was just like, I screenshot, I took a screenshot of it. I was like, how is real? <laughs> but I mean, you make a great point, Nina. Yeah, and I agree with what you said about um, the pandemic and COVID-19. It was really devastating, but I think that there's a long history in the world of public health crises leading to better overall change. I don't know if it, I'm forgetting if it was the Black Plague that made us realize that we need to wash our hands. I don't know. Um, Anna, you know better than me because you're closer to being a student. But I think that a lot of blockers to innovation um, we saw those disappear a little bit. And in terms of adoption as well, um, it just helped us be able to level up and do what we've been needing to do without facing some of the kind of barriers. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now, for this early careerist leadership panel, we have all of these sections have touched on aspects of leadership. But for our last question, let's be more direct. Let's really look at leadership and what that means for early careerists, what it's meant for y'all. Um, Nina, I want to start with you. Uh, what do you see as a trait that's serving you best as a healthcare leader? Some things you can share with our listeners who might be early careerists or they might be people who manage early careerists. So talk about that. Talk about what's helping shape your career out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been told from a few different mentors that what really distinguishes me from others is my determination and my passion. And I think kind of that tenacity stems from my core mission or foundation that I really just care a lot. I care so much about what I'm doing. <laughs> and I realize it. Obviously, I'm, on a, I'm a high stress person because I know the value of what I'm doing has the opportunity to impact lots of people's lives and help people. And so I know that every professional milestone I achieve is just getting me one step closer to making a real positive impact. And I think that it's easy to be successful when you just care so much about what you're doing and to have that hindsight as well. And I think in terms of early careers, I'm very passionate about um, doing what your core mission is, regardless of what stage you are in your career. And I think that's something that working at a startup organization like Alation Health has helped me a lot because I've it's helped me be more fearless in my career. I think that I haven't had to deal with the traditional hierarchy of sitting in a windowless room and doing finance until I can finally speak up and make a difference. And I think that unfortunately that's happening a lot in the United States and just kind of the nature of our industries. So for early careers, I would say that it is never too early to start making a difference. It doesn't have to be in your career. You can do it in every aspect of your life and don't be afraid to 
say your ideas and be creative and think of different solutions for problems that maybe others are addressing in a specific way. Because if there was a solution to fix our healthcare system, we'd be doing it by now. And so it's going to need all hands on deck. It doesn't matter if you're fresh out of college. It doesn't matter what stage you're in. Everybody's needed. We all need to help people help people. (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much, Nina. Anna, you are fresh out of uh, university. Uh, You just got your MHA. You're embarking on this career. So it's very fresh and top of mind for you. So talk about that. What advice can you give other early careerists who are looking to grow in their careers, grow as leaders? What's some advice you would share with them? Yeah, I think to Nina's point, like just not underestimating the importance of like the time that you're in and the the stage that you're in in life um, and not waiting until, you know, later on to take advantage of all the opportunities that are afforded to you and um, choosing to, you know, take the extra step to, to meet people and participate in extracurriculars. And obviously that looks different in graduate school. Um, but I, I just think about if I had not taken advantage of the opportunities to do case competitions or travel to conferences and, um, you know, be a part of our organizations here at the University of South Carolina and had had not led in those, I think that I would just overall feel less equipped and less confident um, to enter into the workforce and into the healthcare industry. Um, And my mentor and our program director was talking to me and we were kind of reflecting on, you know, graduate school and just kind of any advice that she had to give to me. And she was just encouraging me, like, don't let this be the time in your life where you're like, I'm just going to sit back and relax now. Like I'm tired. I did all of these, you know, extra curriculars and all of the, all of this coursework and all of these fellowship applications, um, the last two years. And I, and I worked at the same time, all of that while ban- balancing personal life. Um, like, don't let this be the time or that be an excuse to kind of just, you know, like I said, sit back and relax. Like if anything, um, this is the time to just kind of, you know, continue that passion and continue <clears throat> recognizing the spaces that we're in and the people that we're meeting as, you know, true resources and true, um, you know, just valuable individuals in our, in our journey. Um, and so, yeah, I would just advise early careerists to just never be afraid to, you know, take initiative and, um, for lack of a better word, just don't be too cool for school. Like just be, <laughs> be excited about the extra opportunities that you have. And of course, on the flip side, um, you know, have work-life balance, have stress management techniques and, um, you know, prioritize your personal life so that you can truly serve your communities well um, when you are at work. But I think just, you know, making the most of the time that we have in our careers and really just here on earth is like, an overall advice. Um, cause it's just so easy to fall into the pattern of, you know, wanting to just have some reprieve and not that that's a bad thing, but just not letting complacency, um, take over, I think is important. And go ahead, Nina, please. I'm just going to add on to that because I'm not much more ahead of you in terms of graduation from grad school. I remember I also was pretty hyper in graduate school, wanting to start Halo and and just do everything that I could. Um, And I remember 
after the accelerated academic portion of graduate school, before I began my residency, we had a one month break. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. I'm just going to do nothing. It's going to be like college when I came home for the summer. It's going to be great. I had completely forgotten how to relax. I had no idea how to do it. I was like, just listening for pings on my computer. I was like, what am I even doing right now? Like, I, I just completely forgot how to relax. And so I agree with what you said, both seize the day, take advantage of the moment. And also, especially for those that are currently in graduate school and are maybe high achievers, um, it's really important to set boundaries when you join the workforce because straight A student translating into the workforce, I always thought that I would be a workaholic and I wanted to make sure that my life was well-rounded. So I think that's also an important uh, point. Those are great points. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. David, you've got the last word here. So you found success in some different industries already in early stages of your career. What's some leadership advice you'd like to leave with our listeners as well? <clears throat> yeah, I think, <laughs> Well, knowing that part of the audience of uh, this conversation that we had today will be early careerists, I think the first thing to to keep in mind is uh, how your superiors, how your administrators, how your bosses may be perceiving you and maybe in general early careerists uh, anyway. There are stigma, stigmas attached to millennials and Gen Zers that you can have your own opinion on. It doesn't matter, but just understand that that's the lens through which you're being perceived. And uh, when you're going out, right, I think, uh, and starting your career, don't let that sort of disrupt the work that you can bring to the table. Um, and don't be shy about bringing ideas to the table as well. I think, you know, when I think about, where I truly originally caught my entrepreneurial bug, it was in the defense department. I uh, had an idea for a way we could do something better. And I was uh, 18 months maybe into the job and I went up and I started pitching it through the ranks, pitched it to my manager, pitched it to you know her manager and so forth and so forth, so, uh, so on and so forth. And ultimately, uh, had the opportunity to make it happen, right? And so there are intrapreneurs, I think, uh, that really need to exist within uh, larger healthcare organizations, um, whether it's in a medical practice or a healthcare system, be an intrapreneur, right? And that means innovate within your organization, bring ideas to the table, and then, you know, try to get try to get a seat at that table to actually execute on those on those things. And if you can't get it done, do what I did and just quit and go build it yourself, right? Like uh, there's, I read something recently that the founders of Spotify, the, spot, the founders of Instacart, maybe Lyft, they've all went out and started healthcare companies in the last 12 months, right? Because uh, healthcare remains broken. I think, Nina, you, you pointed out how much work there is just to... Um, you know, make sense of it. And, and, and as early careerists, right, we're going to, we, we can really influence, I think, what the future of healthcare looks like. And so uh, let's build it. 
All right. Well, as we know, healthcare is not easy to fix, but I feel better after spending this uh, amount of time with the three of you uh, that it's in good hands. So David Comiskey, Anna Dunbar, Nina Cloven, thank you for joining us today. Thank Thanks you. so much. Thank you. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership.